If there was one thing that you could go back and change in your life, an action, an inaction, or a, a missed opportunity, what would that one thing be? What would that one thing be? Maybe for you that's uh, taking a risk on a job that you thought was initially out of your league, or taking back some harsh words or a, a bad decision that broke a promising relationship. Maybe for you that's going back to offer some advice to a friend or a loved one that, that you care about that, that you feel like maybe could have offered a chance for change in that moment. If there was one thing that you could go back and change, what would that be? Well, I'm going to let that question sit for just a little bit, and we'll come back to it in a little bit. Uh, but to start out, I just uh, want to let you know this is a Vision Sunday. It's Vision Week here at Christ Church. Once a year, as our ministry year starts to kick off, we, we focus a little bit on what God has for us next in our, in our ministry year. And we're excited about focusing on this coming ministry year on the theme of New Beginnings. Next week, Pastor Brian from Grace Chapel will be kicking us off with our new series called Finding Roots. And we're going to go back to the beginning of beginnings with the book of Genesis to explore how new beginnings there continue to have an impact on our life today. Some of the other sermon series that we'll be exploring is the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the church. And we'll take some breaks here and there to do some interesting things like, like looking at the question, why I still believe. One of the big application points that we'll be leading, to, leading into over the course of the, the year is something called Connection Pathways. That's going to give us an opportunity to find ways to explore and build into what we're already doing and, and engage for the very first time in some, some new things. As we get ready to welcome the fall, kick off a, a new school year, or get into the rhythm after after summer, and as we look to the future as a church, there may be no better time to dig into and enjoy the idea and the topic of beginnings, the gift of God called beginnings. But how do we begin something new when our hearts and minds are so easily drawn to what's gone wrong in the past? How do we begin something new when our hearts and our minds are so easily drawn to something that we may have done wrong or something wrong that has happened to us in the past? Well, that's the question that I'm eager to explore with you today. And to do that, we're going to go back 500 years before Christ to a time when a nation in exile was starting to come back to Jerusalem for the first time experience life there and try to figure out how to get this upstart nation back and running again. We're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. But it also turned out that this nation just also happened to be bogged down by its past also. Well, I imagine that the morning was, was pleasant as the people gathered in Jerusalem the temple that had just been rebuilt was probably within sight of where they gathered. And the walls had just been reconstructed, giving the people of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, a new sense of 
security and safety in that time. It looked like one of the most promising times of all. And it just so happened to be the first day of the month of Tishlev, a, a Jewish month called Tishlev. And that first day was a feast called the Feast of Trumpets, which we know today as Rosh Hashanah. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Well, about this time of the year, it averages a high of 82 in Jerusalem, and they met early in the morning all the way till noon. So I imagine that the, the weather was just perfect for a gathering of all of the people in this space. Perfect weather. The walls were restored. Um, they could finally gather together in peace and security and safety, but it hadn't always been that way. It hadn't always been that way. The exile, the Jewish people had been taken into exile about a hundred years before. But as empires go, one empire replaced another. The Persians replaced the Babylonians and a benevolent king or someone who is generally known as a benevolent king in ancient history named King Cyrus let people who were taken in exile go back to their land. Now, why, why would somebody let people who could possibly be a threat go back to their home and rebuild up their defenses? Well, about a half a century after Cyrus or so, uh, somebody, a king in his lineage known as Artaxerxes, who just happened to have a Jewish cupbearer named Nehemiah, had many concerns all over the world. I think we have a map to show that. There we go. The Persian Empire was massive back then, one of the greatest empires of all time. You can see the capital there is Susa. Well, on the western front, Egypt had erupted in rebellion, and his father, Xerxes, had to deal with a rebellious Greece before him. So there was trouble out on the western front. Judea served kind of as a wall of protection. This gave Artaxerxes the chance to build allies with him that could protect them in case Egypt or Greece became too much of a threat. In a sense, you could say that he was building a wall. He was building a wall. And Artaxerxes' wall just happened to be an open door for the Jewish people to return and build their own wall. Well, you know, you'd think that something like this would have been refreshing and exciting for the Jewish people. It would have instilled a new sense of hope in them, a sense of renewal. But, it, well, it turns out that that's not exactly what we find. You'd you think that it would have been like the Red Sox in 04. The curse is reversed. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find something different. So that's what we're going to look at, Nehemiah chapter 8 today. And we're going to actually look at the, start with the verse preceding that, chapter 7, verse 73. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest 
brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, and a lot of other great Hebrew names that are really easy to pronounce. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, and a lot of other Hebrew names that are easy to pronounce, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some of those who have nothing prepared send, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Well, the setup isn't all that different than what we're experiencing right now, right here today. Somebody, maybe Nehemiah, built a giant wooden platform, and it just so happens that this thing is made out of wood, too. Ezra read from the book of the law, probably a portion of scripture from Deuteronomy that explained the very feast that they were about to partake in, the the Feast of Trumpets. And uh, he probably paused at different points in between because we learned that there are priests and there are teachers of the law out in the audience uh, trying to explain it to the people so that they could understand what it meant. You have this great kind of gathering where people were listening to the word of God. They were, they were being refreshed. Not that all that different than what we experience here on a Sunday morning. But there is something surprising. Actually, there's a couple things surprising about what's going on here. Uh, first of all, before the exile, prophets accused the people of not listening. Of not listening. And I just happen to know a little bit about that for whenever I practice my sermons in front of my family. (laughs) But this time, all of the people leaned in. 
There were times in Israel's history when the ancient writings, when the scriptures had been lost, the Jewish people were rediscovering their roots here, though. The scriptures were their heritage. It was, they were their source of life. The people were fixed on every word. This day is holy to the Lord your God, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the priests say. Chances are, as I said, they're reading a little bit from the book of Deuteronomy here. But what's really surprising is what comes next. Do not mourn or weep. Do not mourn or weep. Before the narrator tells us anything about what's happening in the crowd, we learn that the people are not only leaning in, but the tears are also streaming down. Why would they be weeping in a moment like this? Why would they be weeping in a moment like this? Well, we don't know. We don't know. The author doesn't exactly tell us, but you know, we could venture a guess. After all those years, they realized they had missed so much. Like a parent who works too many hours and all of a sudden realizes one day that their kids have grown up and they never spent the time that they would imagine with their kids. Or a grandparent who lives miles and miles away and misses the opportunity of seeing their grandchildren grow. This was their legacy and it had slipped, it had slipped between their fingers. But Nehemiah presses them. No, he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. Do not grieve. And the Levites, the priests, they chime in too and they say, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Three times that the teachers explain that the feast of the trumpets is holy. That means that God had a, had a special meaning for that. He devoted that day for a special purpose. Well, it just so happens that on the, the Jewish calendar, the feast of trumpets, or more popularly known, as I mentioned before, as Rosh Hashanah, it will be celebrated this Friday all over the world by Jews. Now, for Jews, it's kind of the celebration of the new year, even though here in Scripture we see that it was celebrated in the seventh month. They take ten days out of their calendar year in preparation for another holiday that's going to follow called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is, in modern day, is, is, uh, is a day of renewal. It's a day of new beginning, also reflection, confession, and deep spiritual introspection as they prepare for Yom Kippur. It was a day of, it's a day of mourning today. But for Jews who rediscovered, rediscovered this day back in the time of Nehemiah, it was a day of feasting. In celebration. Do not grieve, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites said. Do not grieve. That's not what this day is for. 
God is not calling you to look back. There's a time for that. And in the next chapter, we're going to see another, another one of those times of mourning and fasting. It's not that that was bad. But for this day, it wasn't a time to look back. It was a time when the walls had been secured and the Feast of Trumpets was a day to experience joy. How did the people respond? Look at what Nehemiah says. They don't waste a second. Then all of the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood that the words, they now understood the words that had been made known to them. So that's it. A simple, quite amazing story that I think could produce a, a, a maxim or a proverb that's also quite simple. If I were to sum this up in a big idea, I might say something like, when you're down, party down. Or party on. I'm not sure what the expression is. But it's not quite as simple as that, is it? There's, there's something missing here that's really important. Something missing to this story. Well, today and every day on Vision Week, as we come to this time of the year, I like to zero in on one of the, the beats of our mission statement. Celebrate people, pursue wholeness, and discover God. Uh, last week I heard from our, one of our worship leaders, Kathy. She had a really great way of summing it up. It's, it's moving outward, uh, doing things inward, and then looking upward. Over the past six years or so, we've, we've made an attempt to have a humble posture towards our community, to do, to do good and to, to spin love in a practical way. That's celebrate people. We have also felt like it's important to, to respond to Jesus' invitation to become more whole and complete in him. And we are constantly striving to to reach towards the climax of our mission statement, which is to discover God. That's, discover, that's to discover God. And we admit readily that we don't have all the answers, but we're reaching out and trying to touch the one who does, to get to know more the one who has all of the answers. Well, that last piece is the one that I'm really drawn to today because, it's not, because what we've just read really isn't just about overcoming regret. It's about looking ahead and discovering the one who has made us and called us to him. Did you notice Nehemiah's words? Did you notice Nehemiah's words in chapter 8, verse 10? Do not grieve, for the, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what God loves more than a party? God loves a party with a purpose. A party with a purpose. The earliest pages of the Bible teach us that God set aside the last day of the week so that we could be rejuvenated, so that we could rest. But it also gave us an opportunity as human beings to understand our own limits and to see how great God is. These special feast days, uh, like the one that was experienced here, they were often called special Sabbaths as well. And the people during that time were required to cease from work so that they could be reminded of their human limits 
and rejuvenate as well. But there's another purpose, especially to, to this Feast of Trumpets. It's not just about remembering their limits, but it's also about celebrating God's goodness. It's about celebrating God's goodness. Why? Because it gives us strength. It gives us strength. And not just any kind of strength. That word for strength is, is literally fortress. When we put our joy in the Lord, it is a fortress. A fortress. It protects us from past failures. It can't keep us down. It protects us from the things that we have neglected. Missed opportunities can't come back to haunt us. It protects us from the evil things that have been done to us in our past. Those things can't determine our identities. They can't determine our identities. And that protection, it gives us freedom to take steps, even risky steps, knowing that the one who brings joy is bigger than anything that can bring us down. Joy in the Lord smashes regret and enlivens our spirits for what's to come. Joy in the Lord smashes regrets and enlivens our spirits for what's to come. I came across this video a couple weeks ago about a man whose name is also John who collects cans in the streets of New York City. He didn't always dig in the trash to make his living, but he didn't always experience joy like he does now. What's the craziest thing you found? Gold. Gold and cash. Cartier watches. All kinds of stuff. Diamonds. Everything. There's nothing you can't find in New York City. So the way this industry works is people who have nothing go and they pick up the cans and bottles. Then we call a truck. So this truck goes and the driver gets one penny that he collects per bottle. Then the company that picks up the bottle from him gets eight and a half cents. How much do you make? Anywhere from four to eight hundred dollars a week. You know, it sounds foolish, but what I do is I take the pot and pan on a Saturday and Sunday. I'll, go, I'll be in uh, Jackson Heights, and I'll go sell it for 5 $7. So I make another $1,000 every weekend from the stuff I find during the week. <laughs> I have to laugh because I've been doing it for so long, I've been living off of it. So in a week, you have a couple grand maybe? 14 15 18 depends on the week. It depends on the weather. Because if I could be out in the summer day every day, I would sell all day every day. I make 3000 a week. Easy. Easy. You grew up in New York? I grew up in New York. Grew up in Queens. Met my wife down there. Had three beautiful babies with her. Came up, involved in some not-too-good business, and I uh, got in trouble. Got locked up. Lost my wife and kids. So that's why I'm in this mess. Picking it must up have been cans. very illegal. Was it like the FBI or something that got involved? The FBI got me. Uh, I was smuggling drugs. Marijuana. Just marijuana? Just marijuana. And people. Oh, and people. Yeah. Okay. That's the real money. Millions and millions of dollars. We used to drive boats to the Bahamas, to Bimini, different islands, and bring them over to the United States. How'd you get caught? I got ratted on. Somebody told on me. So they got off of probation and I got 10 years. Do you regret anything? Oh, yeah. I regret everything. Lost my wife and kids. I didn't get to see any of the grandchildren be born. I missed a lot of stuff, man. You 
seem to be able to hold that pain together pretty well, though. You don't. What am I going to do? I got no more tears. I'm all cried out. Now all I do is I can only be joyful and laugh and have a good life because it's soon gonna it's soon gonna end. I'm 60. What were you like in the past? A little crazy, a little reckless. I used to have big muscles and great hair, and girls thought I was cute. So I took advantage of all of that, and, and uh, it's not the right way to be. So now I'm a Christian. I do the right thing. I do my very best to walk properly, to love the others, you know? Milton, I didn't expect to see you here. Yeah, Tell me about your relationship with God. Woo! So there's a great scripture in the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. What that means to me is before Genesis 1-1, he had already chosen those who he chose. I was called in June of 1993. I gave my life to the Lord. I was in jail. The three ladies came from the Bronx to preach. I just felt led in my spirit to say, okay, I, I, I think you're telling the truth. I agree. I'll accept. Since 1993, which is 30 years ago, I've screwed up a million times. I've been used of God a million times, but I've screwed up a million times. And I've come to the conclusion after 30 years that truly, truly God knew who I was and what I was going to do and what I was going to become. And He knew I would pick up cans one day before it ever happened. That scripture helps me to realize that when I fail, you know, don't please or do the things of God. He still loves me. He still cares for me because he chose me in Christ. He seated me at his right hand in heavenly places. I'm seated there right now, whether I deserve it or not. Is that hope you have for the future, something you hold on to now? It's difficult, but I've seen so many miracles and so many spiritual things that I firmly with all my heart believe that God is real. And therefore, I believe his promises in the word and I stand on them. I don't deserve it, but thank God for his grace, you know? Hola, Amanda. That's my friend Amanda. Eric, Hi. it didn't come out yet, love. <laughs> Count yourself. Milton's coming back in 15 minutes. John, here's a question for you. Talk to me. When you get to heaven, what are you going to ask God? Why'd you choose me? <laughs> like, who am I that you, cho <laughs> you chose me? <laughs> I can walk on the streets made of gold. You got a house with me up there? Look at those streams and rivers and angels. Oh, I'm good to go. I'd be so, I couldn't stop smiling down here. I'm going to stop smiling up there. <laughs> what do you think he would say of you? You could have did so much better. I had so much more for you. You big dummy. <laughs> What do you have to say to someone who's trying to believe in God but can't? Simplest answer ever. I heard it from a young boy. God, 15 seconds of your time. Bow down and say, Lord, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Speak to me. I could keep you here all day, Eric, with stories. My God has been great to me. And I appreciate you coming around to encourage me and invigorate me again about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How we doing, ladies? How's life? Great. Well, it turns out that joy isn't necessarily something that we have to wait for. It's something that we can go and we can seize. Not just the kind of joy that comes from the outside or the kind of joy that we pursue on the inside, but the kind of joy that is directed upward. Upward. That's a powerful kind of joy. Well, let me return to my question from the beginning. If there was one thing in your life that you could change. You go back and change. What would that be? What would that be? 
And are you willing to leave that thing where it's at in order to direct your joy upward towards the Lord instead? If that's where you're at today, I want to just offer a couple of just three practical steps, three things that you can do to put some of this into action. First of all, laugh more. Laugh more. One of the things that uh, I love to do when I'm reading to my kids, when we pick up a story, is I like to get a little bit creative with the story sometimes. We were reading a book about a, uh, a young girl named Mary and a mouse. And throughout the course of the story, Mary gets a little bit closer to the mouse, and the mouse gets a little bit closer to Mary as they kind of curiously show interest towards one another. And the book kind of ends where they're kind of peeping at each other through the mouse hole, and they say good night. But I like to get a little bit creative sometimes, so as I got a little bit closer, I said, and then the mouse bit Mary on the nose. <laughs> And first they were shocked, and then the, and then the kids were like, "No, that's not how it goes." And it's like, "Ah, you're right, you're right." So our Disney Princess book was on the menu last week, and we're reading through all of these short stories of all of the classic Disney movies that most of us have seen or or heard about: Cinderella, Snow White, and and you know they all end the same way. And they lived happily ever after. Well, that's not very postmodern, I thought. Uh, then again, maybe we could use a world where there is a little bit more happily ever after. At the same time, at the same time, sometimes that sets uh, those kind of expectations, they, they set us up to fail, don't they? Uh, chances are there are some of you here, I, you know who you are, who have married your Prince Charming, and it didn't turn out to be so happily ever after, did it? So as we're reading through these stories one by one, Dad decided to take a chance and change something. And he said, And they lived happily ever laughter. And I just had this big pretend belly laugh that came out, and, and then my five-year-old complained right away, That's not what it says! But eventually she caught on, and she started laughing too, and we all started laughing and enjoying the moment. You know, I, I think that there's, as playful as that moment was, I think that there's some weight to that truth as well. If you've ever been to an anniversary of a couple who's been together for a long time, or if you've ever been in a situation at a maybe a bridal shower where somebody shares the wisdom of of a lifelong happy marriage, one of the things that's often going to come up is that they laugh together. And isn't that true of all of our relationships? Laughter brings in that joy. Now, if this seems like an awfully practical solution to a what seems like a spiritual text, remember that even here, Nehemiah tells him to go and celebrate and eat, have a good time, rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord doesn't have to happen in spite of good circumstances. We can rejoice in the Lord because of the good gifts that he gives us. Laugh more. Secondly, rejoice together. Rejoice together. 
Did you notice here when uh, Nehemiah sends people out to celebrate and eat food that he also tells them to share that food too? It turns out that joy is something that is best enjoyed when we're around other people. Joy is not diminished when shared. It is multiplied when shared. And being around joyful people is contagious. Now, part of the reason that we've been putting a lot of effort into our launch of groups this season is, is because we know how important it is to be together. And that's why I'm especially excited about this new effort that we're launching called Explore Groups. That's because we know that taking that step towards a group from kind of hanging out together in this body, listening to somebody, singing some songs, that can be a big step for people. And maybe it's hard to get into a group because it seems like everybody already knows each other in the group and you feel like you're on the outside looking in. Or, or maybe you tend towards the introverted side and, and you're afraid of how you'll be perceived. There are so many reasons that we don't make that step towards more intimate connection today. So we wanted to kind of ease off a little bit and just provide people a space with, with a free meal to gather together and get to know some of the people in those groups, to, to find their fit. One of the taglines that we're using is to find your people. It's non-committal. You can just get to know some of the people in the different groups and find out if these are the kind of people you want to laugh with, you want to pray with, you want to eat with. And that step might be a, a big step for you to take to experience the joy, experience joy in the Lord in a new level because the Lord's joy happens in community. It happens in community. Lastly, receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. In my study about joy this week, I came across a verse in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And it says that even Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus was filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. Is it cheating for us to skip all the way over to the New Testament? Well, it looks like that Nehemiah is already planting the seeds when he talks about the Spirit in his book. He talks about the Spirit bringing wisdom and bringing warnings. And there's a, there's a moment in Nehemiah where God puts something on Nehemiah's heart. We're already seeing these seeds and these, these early pictures of the Holy Spirit that's to come. Could Nehemiah have anticipated that a joy directed upward could be stirred from within? We don't know. But we do know the rest of the story, and we know that people, like the man that we encountered in that video, they can only manufacture that kind of joy for a limited period of time. If you're going to have the kind of joy that that man had, it has to come from up there, and it has to be stirred from within. Receive the Spirit, because the Spirit gives us joy that's divine and powerful and life-giving. Receive the Spirit. So what new beginning does God have for you? Is it fresh attitudes in old places? Better relationships with people that you struggle with? Is it a new group of people to connect with and build a foundation of joy with? What about new, the new beginnings that God would have for Christ's church? 
And we can cast a vision, but regrets can hold us back. How will the Lord protect us, not from risk, but protect us for risk? Protect us for risk in order that our faith might grow and that we might discover him in new ways. Joy in the Lord, it smashes our regret and it enlivens our spirits for what's to come and what's coming next. Past mistakes, past injuries, missed opportunities, these are the things that don't have to define us. What is calling us forward is greater. It is an indestructible fortress that is tested for battle and able to provide a solid foundation for what's ahead.